welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome adventurers to episode 57 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We love having your company every other Thursday. This is King Scott here. And this is just Patrick. And as always, we've got a ton of gaming goodness today, including recent plays of Arc Nova, QE. Our 8-bit breakdown today is going to be Lockup from Thunderworks Games. We got Josh joining us for some lost loot and adventures on the horizon before capping things off with the Board Game Geek Awards. Haha, <laughs> we got a big one today. Yeah, but we're going to try and keep it a little bit smaller. We, You know that last episode, our summit episode, our level back, we got up to around the two hour mark and we try not to do that, but sometimes we just got a lot to talk about. I did mention that we're going to have an obligatory update on could I beat Scott at Space Base not knowing the rules, and uh, turns <laughs> out I cannot. <laughs> well, in, the nice thing about that, I said about how I was really on the losing percentage there. But I think I turned the corner here. I think I figured it out, and it's making it that much more fun. I'm still having a blast playing that game on BGA. I love the luck aspect of it, but still there's that planning aspect that comes into it that's pretty important. Yeah, playing a little bit odds with the numbers, and yet, you know, oh man, I could take a worse number because this card's so good. Having a lot of fun with that, and it's kind of neat to be able to learn a game on the fly and just, I'm just going to click things. I would love to have like a recording of my first playthrough because I would love to see like what I was thinking be like, oh man, you idiot, that's not right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a really a very, very cool game, though. We had a meetup just recently. Sure did. SCG Hobby and Latrobe hosted us for a meetup day. And I tell you what, that was fun. Really was. It was a great time to sit down with people that a lot of times we do normally play games with. Mm-hmm. But we had other people that were brand new. I mean, we had Doug who yep. came down and sat with us and played some games. Brett and Amanda were there, and oh yeah, yeah, we uh, we introduced Doug to something, didn't oh, we? Oh man, so okay, adventures. We're sitting there, and this is like the uh, oh geez, what do we do now? We're sitting there with Doug, and he's not a big board gamer. He's an RPG kind of guy. He's got Dungeons and Dragons going. He's an older guy too, right? This isn't you know. Yes, he's he's been around. And he's sitting there, he looks over at the shelf that the store has of demo games, and he's like, oh, Catan. You know, I never played Catan. <laughs> and we and looked at each other. Like, what, what, what? <laughs> and we looked at Doug, and we were like, today's the day. Did not think I was going to have Catan on the table, but uh, sure enough, we broke it out and taught him how to play. I think he had a really good time with it. It's nice I to revisit a, a classic time. like that. Yeah, I had a good time because it's been quite some time since I played that. And it was nice to get that out. Uh, still, the last part of the game, I still have a little bit of problems with as far as no one wants to trade with the person that needs one point left. Yeah, it kind of uh, peters out, doesn't it? Yeah, but uh, but other than that, it was thoroughly a, a wonderful experience. And a good game day all in all. There were a ton of games on the table. We had uh, groups playing, what, Return to Dark Tower, Arc Nova, Meeples and Monsters, Smartphone Inc. My favorite, though, is how we capped it all off at the end of the day with a little <laughs> Mario Kart 
Pitch Car. So for those who don't know, Pitch Car is a game that it's it's just tracks, like little wooden tracks that interconnect kind of like a puzzle piece. So you actually make a racetrack and you put discs on the track and you flick them with your finger and take turns. And the goal is to complete X number of laps. And whoever does it first is the winner. I customized my pitch car set to be Mario Kart pitch car. So I put the little stickers on. They all look like the characters. But on the track, I put those little question mark blocks. I took stickers Mm -hmm. and put them on the track. And anytime you pass those, you roll a die. So like, oh, it's so funny. If you roll the squid, you get the squid token. And at any time before someone flicks, you can be like, no, I'm catching my squid. They got to cover their eyes. They got to spin around once. And they have to flick using their thumb. (laughs) Instead of the finger. It only happened once, but boy, that one time was memorable. Oh, Scott, I got you on the – I put the post up on Instagram of you taking a flick and it went right into the side of a wall and it's just head down. Oh, Well, it, it's not only going into the side of a wall. It went into the side of the wall and came right back to where I started. Right back. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's so much fun to break out a game that's guaranteed to get some laughs. It was a, a great way to cap off what was it a wonderful was. game day. Thank you to the adventurers that are uh, local to Pittsburgh and made their way out and joined us into SCG Hobby for hosting. Very much so. Now, a game that you had, I know you had it on your table there for a little while you were looking at. It seems to have hit its funding goal. Yeah, Citrus hit its funding goal. Congratulations to the team at Citrus. We talked about this one a couple episodes back. I think they're going to have a late pledge opportunity. So if you go back and listen to that, you think it sounds like something that's right up your alley, by all means, keep your eyes open for Citrus. Something else is hitting its funding goal, but with some drawbacks. Mm-hmm. Marvel Zombicide. Scott, you posted on Facebook about Marvel Zombicide shipping. You know, is this going to have people turning a corner? I'm reading through some of the replies. Okay, so what is the shipping? I know for U.S., I know it's crazier in some places. Somebody from the U.K. was like, it is $6,000 to ship it. Oh, yeah. In the U.S., it's like $155 if you're getting Mm -hmm. it all together. One wave shipping. And it's $200, I think, if you're going two ways. I think so, something like that. All I know is it's just one of those things where you go into it, you get a Kickstarter. Now, number one, you look at this Kickstarter. You're in probably about $800 if you go all in. Oh, if you went nutter butters, you could probably get the game and like, you know, whatever Kickstarter stretch goals come with it for, it was probably 100 bucks, maybe 120 Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you got the base game, boom. But then you had all the different expansions that they did. Now, this is something that I guess they call it come on now does all the time. They'll do your base game. Hey, it's awesome. Here you go. Have some fun. But hold on. We got some other stuff for you as well. And they just pile on the expansions one after another after another exclusives. And then they ended it up with this giant Galactus model where you can have Galactus or you can (laughs) pop out the face and have zombie Galactus. (laughs) I'm not saying anything's wrong. I mean, their stuff. No, that thing's cool. You aren't paying extra for something that you're not going to get. You get amazing components, everything. Yeah, you know, we love to say, oh, people are going to get all these boxes. They'll never get to them. There are people that get to all of the boxes. Just because some of us don't doesn't mean that others don't as well. Right, right, exactly. And this might be their cornerstone to their games. I mean, they have their one big thing that they get a huge game once a year, and that's it. That's what they go all in on. 
But when you go in, you got to realize, number one, you're going to have a pretty high shipping cost. A ridiculous shipping cost right now, especially. I understand the containers are coming down a little bit in price, but they're not back yet. Yeah, you've got so many things that are causing problems with this as far as fuel costs and everything else and things getting tied up in ports in China and every all this stuff going on. What a mess. You kind of have to expect it's going to be that way, but I don't think any of them were expecting what they were going to be getting whenever they were like, okay, here's the uh, pledge manager. Here's what you owe for shipping. Yeah, that's and- the biggie. I think if upfront when when people were pledging, let's suppose that I pledged to it. I, I didn't. You know, I got my fill of Zombicide, even though I think Marvel Zombicide sounds so cool. Yeah. I didn't pledge to it. It's just a little too expensive for me. But if they said from the get-go, shipping is 155 slash 200 if you do two-wave, you're going to have a lot of people complaining, and you're going to have less people buying in. And people mm-hmm. are still going to complain, even the ones that backed and are, are willing to accept it. But it is what it is. I think the blindsiding, like, I understand that their original estimates were a bit lower than, like, lower enough that it's like a sticker shock. Like, I think folks feel a little bamboozled. I think I've said this one other time before. You can go back to, they used to have these posters about all I needed to know in life I learned from Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, God. I love that they had Mr. Scott on there from the original series. And Jordy's well, like, oh, yeah, that's not next generation. Oh no, 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 no. He got he got stuck in a transporter and all that stuff. Don't don't worry about it. That okay. that's neither here nor there. Make it so. But he uh he was talking with Jordy LaForge, their engineer. He's like, oh, I'll get it done in fifteen minutes. And of course, what are you talking about, Laddie? And he goes on his whole thing here. You always say something more if you know you can get it done in 15 minutes tell them you're going to get it done in two hours so whenever you get it done in those 15 minutes you look like a god (laughs) so so lie to make yourself look better exactly so they should have come out and said like you said shipping is going to be high it's going to be 250 dollars well hey we worked out some deals here and shipping is only going to be 150 dollars and you know what to Maybe backpedal a little bit. They might not have known. You know what I mean? Like they can oh, do their sure. best oh, to yeah, come yeah. up with what I don't it's going to be. Uh, it's just unfortunate that you know if you really wanted that game and that's that's your bread and butter and you're looking forward to a lot of folks with kids. Some besides an approachable game. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to be Captain, you know, Captain America. We're gonna we're gonna mess up oh, some yeah. zombie. And now it's like, oh my goodness, another two hundred. That said, let's turn the happy back on. What else you got, Scott? Well, hey, uh, Gamelin Games once again just reached in my pocket, grabbed a hold of my wallet, and shook all the extra change out of me. I take it Uh, Vikings is coming? Tiny Epic Vikings was released today on Kickstarter, the day we're recording. It looks like a little bit deeper of a game. Uh, They're having a fold-out board in this now, so it's not Mm -hmm. just little cards you're sticking out. I might have been a little underwhelmed with some of the Tiny Epic games, but mm-hmm. I've never been angry with any of them. I've sure. always found some sort of fun to get out of them. I just so, like that I never have to buy them because I know that you're going to have them. Oh, yeah. It's a given. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that was released on Kickstarter. Nice price. I mean, all in for the expansions, like 40 bucks. So, I mean, it's really a very affordable type of thing to get into. Yeah, but their shipping's going to be 155 unless you do two Anyway, back to the happiness factor. <laughs> What's um, Pocket Land Ship? 
Pocket Landship. This is one that whenever I started getting into more solo games, I saw everyone saying Pocket Landship, Pocket Landship. You got to get into this game. I couldn't find it anywhere. You look on the Amazon, it's out of print. It's out of print. Well, it just so happened that somebody I followed on Kickstarter, it came up and I'm like, wow, Tom is backing something on Kickstarter. I haven't seen him do something for a long time. It was Pocket Landship, and they're coming out with a new edition with some new cards, new expansion. Poof. Not, I mean, no thought. I just hit back. You're like, fine, um, I'm in. You got it's, me. It's basically the idea of you have this tank that's going around it, and you're fighting this war in this tank. But you have to upgrade the weapons. You have to deal with the weather. There's all these things that come in that go against you. I don't know that much about it. I just really got sucked in on the whole idea of this just looks awesome. Hmm. And thinking of that, Facebook had another one. And you just made me the happy oh. little boy yesterday. <laughs> so Scott and I had the chance to meet up together yesterday. And we were playing some of the future review games we like to try and get in uh, sufficient plays before we talk about something and we're sitting there it's like oh by the way uh you remember space kraken that i talked about oh yeah you know? that guy marcus he sent me a couple more games and it's really really cool i don't know if this is the intent uh, for the prototypes only to look this way or if this is going to be how he releases the games but the prototypes came in like laser cut wood boxes like you would yes. expect for an insert that is the box and i think he calls it the wooden box series so i my guess is that's what the actual product is going to be like. He sent me a couple of games, one of which I opened as, oh, this sounds really terraforming. Darkness, this looks awesome. The pieces are cool, a little abstract. I can't wait to sink my teeth into this one. The other one, though, I opened it up, took the lid off. There's two binders, and then there's a rule book with like 80 pages, grids, graphs. It, it looked like it looked like an accounting class. I was like, oh, <laughs> no, what have I gotten myself into Turns out, you or you you left my house with it. You you saw yes. the ads. Dock Fighters is the game. Oh my goodness gracious! I was so psyched because I was looking at this whenever it was on Facebook. I'm like, mm -hmm. I may have to back this thing. This looks really awesome, and it kind of goes back to the whole idea of there was an older game called Crimson Skies. Okay. And it was like an alternate history thing where you would go through and you had these different groups of uh, like the U.S. was completely broken up into different areas, different nations. Mm -hmm. But this one here feels very much the same. You have these like souped up 1920s type planes. Yeah. And yeah. You have giant blimps that are going around. You've There's got big three old dimensional things here. Box. You have the altitude meters. Everything is magnetized where you magnetize the bases for the planes and the weapons on. Oh, my God. It just like <laughs> I got home. I'm just like my wife isn't even into gaming. I'm like, look at this. You got to look at this. Look at this. Is this not amazing? Look at this. <laughs> Well, I sent you home with Hidden Leaders. I sent mm -hmm. you home uh, with with this one, with Dock Fighters. Did you start playing around with the bits? As soon as I got home, pop, <laughs> took that off. I even had the rule book sitting right next to me here. I was reading them before we started recording. I am just so relieved because when I saw the size of that rule book and I'm not big on like mini, like that style of game, mm -hmm. I don't have a background. You know, we're always saying like, oh, well, if you've played Dominion, you're going to be able to play this. It's one of those like, well, Scott plays Battletech and he's played Warhammer, so he's going to be able to grasp this a lot quicker than I am. I was all set to like message Marcus and be like, hey, man, this, this looks like a really expensive prototype. I... 
it's not right for me to keep it because I don't think that I can give it an appropriate amount of time and, and expertise. So glad. Oh, the weight was lifted when you were like, I would love to have oh, that. <laughs> yeah, I'm seriously, I mean, adventure, seriously, this is going to be going on the table today. I will be learning this immediately and I will be talking about this next episode. No question. I will have this down. Let's talk about games that have been on the table recently for us. We're going to get into recent adventures. And Scott, I'm going to yes. kick it off because I got I got the old elephant in the room. No pun intended. We're talking a 2021 game from Matthias Wiggy, Wiggy, W-I-G-G-E. Say it, Scott. Uh, I Well, I would say it could be... Uh... We'll go with Wiggy. It's I mean, from Capstone Games. And the game, of course, is Ark Nova, which has lived in the hotness now for like four straight months. It's Tom Vassell's new favorite game. Ah, and it's climbing the top 100 at a blazing speed. It's destined for number one. Let's be honest. Oh, I mean, yeah, with the amount of uh, hype behind this thing, it's unreal. Wingspan was like the meteoric. Meteoric? Yeah, the meteoric yes. rise. Like, quicker than I've ever seen. And holy smokes, did it get up there and it topped out at like 20 or so? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Wherever it is, this thing in the span of three months is apparently a top 20 game. Apparently enough people have played the game long enough and, and enough times to determine that this is <laughs> a top 25 of all time games. We won't get there. Uh, I, I'd say it's about time we talk about it, though. Ark Nova. This comes with a theme, of course, of managing a modern zoo, including funding conservation projects, building enclosures, accommodating animals, and hiring specialists, among other things. Now, in a 30,000-foot view, Scott, you haven't played yet, have you? I have not, no. Okay. So we'll give you the the, the from a distance view. This is like the zoo simulator board All game. Right. And as you zoom in, it's reinforced by really clever gameplay. Now, we're only at the tip of the iceberg with Ark Nova, so I'll call this a first impression. I had the chance to play this with Ryan on TTS, and hopefully sometime in the near future, maybe we'll give it an 8-bit breakdown sure. after we've had a hard copy and played it a few times. I feel like everybody's doing their review of it right now, so we don't really need to be another no, voice. No. <laughs> a small one at that in a big <laughs> pond. Let's talk a little gameplay. Initially, people were comparing this to Terraforming Mars, so I'll reference it a few times as, as we go on this adventure. At its core, Ark Nova is a card game that's going to incorporate tracks for income, knowledge, conservation, and a spatial element on a personal player board. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say this is a card game, 255 unique cards in wow. the game. Wow. Now, that's not unfamiliar territory. We saw this with Terraforming Mars, with mm -hmm. Wingspan, with Earth, with Dog Park. A lot of games, the idea that you take a simple rule set and you incorporate complexity by introducing unique cards. In fact, how about this, Scott? There was a boom for rolling rights. You know, that, that was oh, like, oh, yes. man, everything's a rolling right. Boom for dinosaur games. Mm -hmm. This I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this a minor boom in popularity of games that incorporate a big stack of unique cards. Yeah. That seems to be a thing lately. I'm yeah, going to make a super rule set and we're going to give you this big ass stack of cards and make of it what you will. I like your prediction there. Well, let's get back to Ark Nova. You've got an individual player board where you're going to be placing habitats. These are just tiles that go on your board. You start with a couple, but as the game progresses, you're going to be building more. Sure. Now, these are important for like placement bonuses on your board, but more so because various animals need to be in various enclosures. You can't take an elk 
and put it in the frog enclosure. You know, like you need larger enclosures for larger animals, of course. You small-minded person, you. (laughs) The primary engine in the game, though, is a hand of five action cards that everyone has. That's how you're going to build. That's how you're going to gain income, draw cards, and perform all of the actions within the game. These are housed underneath your player board. So picture your rectangular player board, Scott, underneath it. You've got a row with a one on the far left, then a two, all the way up to the five slot on the far right. All right. And the, the slot depicts the strength of the action card you're using. So your gotcha. five cards are placed underneath there. If you use the card from slot number two, it's only going to be at a two power. So you'll gain two bucks. I'll make a lot more money if I wait until it's at the five slot. How do we do that? If you play an action card, we'll say you play the card from the four row, you take it out of the row, you play it, and at the end of the turn, the one, the two, and the three are all going to slide over, <laughs> slide to the right. <laughs> and then you're going to put the, your, the card that you just played in the one slot, so it's now at its weakest. You play that five card, oh, it's the most powerful, but then it's going to go into the one slot. So you have a shifting row of abilities. They're always all available to you, but the power level, the strength of the card matters and is flexible it's it, it's shifting it's it's right, a, never right. constant and dude the amount of gameplay wrapped into that simple mechanism alone that's enough to flesh out a great game oh never sure. mind all the bells and the whistles and the complexity that we add in arc nova that shifting action value and the card play could be a game in and of itself and it makes every single action a meaty decision hmm. notwithstanding what you're actually gonna do with the action <laughs> Wow, you're Let's, really getting fired up about this game. <laughs> I'm angry, Scott. <laughs> Let's go on further. Each of these action cards that you're playing, they are double-sided. And the back of the card is an upgraded version. And throughout the all game, right. you're not going to be able to upgrade them all. You're going to be able to upgrade, say, I think I think the max is four. Don't quote me on that. But we'll say that in most games, you're going to be able to upgrade two or all three. Right. Boy, that's... That's a decision there. Which one do I upgrade? Do I want to be able to build better? Do I want to get more money? Mm. So not only are they giving you this really thinky mechanism with the shifting card row, they're also giving the ability to alter it as gameplay continues. Okay, okay. I mean, it seems like it's a pretty in-depth game. It's going to take a long time. Well, we'll get there. And you know what? We saw some guys at the meetup playing it, and there were a couple new players. I know it took them two and a half hours. But first play, that's to be expected. As the game progresses, you'll be, as I said, you building these enclosures, housing various animals in them, but there's plenty more to be discovered. You're looking to fund conservation projects for endgame points. You hire employees that are going to alter bonuses for you in a myriad of ways, from making, say, one animal type easier to play to lowering costs for various projects. But for just dipping our toe in the water today, let's touch on final scoring. You're I don't know if you ever played Rahas of the Ganges, but you have two tracks, and when the tokens meet on each track, oh, well, that's basically the okay. end of the game. Okay, I have not played it, but I've seen that mechanic before. Okay, well, that's basically what they do here. They have a conservation point tracker, and they have an income tracker, and they start on opposite sides of the board. So as I gain income, one is working its way towards the other, and as I gain conservation points, it's working towards the All income right. marker. And whenever they meet, that's when it's like, okay, everyone, that's it. That's the game. Now, you started saying that this is kind of complex. You have the 255 cards. You've got the double-sided cards with different things. You're moving things around as far as what action and how strong the action is going to be. Does it feel as complex as you're making it sound, or is it kind of uh, intuitive as you play? You get a little bit 
it becomes a little bit easier. Where does it fall on the scale? Super heavy or light? It's not going to be super heavy, but it's, I mean, it's obviously not light. In fact, it, it's much heavier than midweight. This is a complex game. Now, Adventure, you're listening to a board game podcast, so I'm guessing that you look forward to this sort of thing. Like, when Ryan uh, started to teach it to me, he told me that, you know what, Pat, if you can handle on Mars, you're not going to have a problem with this. And for the most part, it wasn't an issue, but... I'm not going to have a grasp okay. on this until I've played it at least a half a dozen times, Scott. There's there are too many dots to, to connect. Like figuring mm-hmm. out like how to go about functioning within the game. I think it's going to take me another game, a full second game, just before I understand. Okay, I right. know what this symbol means. Now I know what that means. I know what happens when I trigger this. Never mind. Actually, starting to put together a competent strategy. There's tons in this game, and because there are so many strategic paths that you can take. That does make it quite complex. So hearing this, this also then leads me into the next thing. Did you enjoy the gameplay or was it too much work? Oh, I enjoyed it. I, I Scott, I really did. I, Even though I know three people that have a hard copy, I might just go get one for myself. <laughs> uh, it is a long game. The complexity yeah. is going to limit who I can play it with, but it was completely satisfying from start to finish. I couldn't help but check on BGG for like – I was I was blown away. Yeah, I think that it is deserving of the accolades that it gets. I couldn't help but look on BGG and find out, okay, who's rating this poorly and why? Because I couldn't find yeah. anything in the game that made me feel like, oh, I don't know about that. Or, you know, when a game has that kind of a reputation before you even oh, sit sure. down to play it, me, I'm the hipster that sits down and goes, no, oh, this isn't going to be cool. You know what I mean? Like, I want to pick it apart. I want to find the things that I don't like. So – I couldn't find any. But what did other people find? I found just a couple of consistent gripes on BGG. A lot of folks mentioned, you know, it's a card-driven engine builder. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be a little luck-driven early on. Like you get that early combo and it can be hard for someone to catch you. Okay. Yeah, I I could see that being a thing. Some people said minimal player interaction. And Mm -hmm. this is kind of true aside from like snatching a card before someone. So like the alligators, they can snap a card. And I I don't just mean snap a card. Like even aside from that, that you might be eyeballing, uh, you might be eyeballing a sponsor card and I take it before you. Um, There, there are ways to interact. The, I think it's the monkeys can like (laughs) go figure it's the monkeys. You can steal cards from other people. Mm-hmm. Get out of here, you monkey. <laughs> Makes sense, right? It's thematic. Um, it, there is a little bit of interaction, but other than that, it's mostly the racing factor. It's uh, You're building your zoo. There isn't a whole lot of like direct interaction, uh, you know, card, take that cards, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. They do have an option in the game where you can play with uh, some of the snakes have a venom icon. on. And then when Ryan and I played, we didn't have that venom icon. Uh, sure. Well, we opted not to use it. It says you don't have to use it. You can use the blue portion of this card, which is kind of the let's be nice. And right. it just does this ability. But the other way, there are ways you can give people tokens that are like little setbacks. A handful of folks also, I, I got to point it out, they're anti-zoo, which I, I guess that's a thing. They rated it poorly because they found reason to believe that zoos are are, are like bad bad for animals or evil in oh, some capacity. Uh, and I'm not poking fun. You know, I, I, I don't have an opinion personally. I'm not discrediting their thoughts, but they're rating – like there were a lot of low ratings based strictly on that theme. And that's okay. They're, they're allowed to do that. But man, there's just not a whole lot of bad to say about Ark Nova. With it being so heavy and everyone jumping on the bandwagon of like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. Mm -hmm. Do you have any opinion on why it's ranked so high? Is it truly that it's 
a game for the ages or is it just in the zeitgeist right oh, now and it's the new hotness? That's kind of tough. I, You know, at anything that shoots up like this, it's going to be a thing. You're so kind of like how people still play Terraforming Mars, play Wingspan, Blood Rage. This is going to be one of those, we'll say, an evergreen. Most gamers are going to have mm-hmm. it in their collection. You know, on one hand, I, it's still skyrocketing and it's going to be in the top 10. It might end up being number one. I think a lot of it's a result of Tom going gaga over it. Uh, and then promptly yeah, yeah. every reviewer copies that. It's a phenomenal game. I don't think, I'm not saying that people are, are reviewing, you know, reviewing it positively because Tom thought so highly of it. Sure, 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 sure. But if if there was never a Tom Vassell endorsement at all, I think it would still end up in the BGG top 50. I think it would just take yeah. a little bit longer. It It is right, a very yeah. good game. Its complexity leads me to believe that like, man, you look at some of the ones in the top 10, there are complex games, but there are some that are a little easy, like, oh, part of the appeal of this game is that I can play with multiple people. It's not just a, a, a gamer game like we like to think of them. Right, right. It's also tough to say because I would guess that of those who rated it on BGG that propelled it up the rankings list, maybe 5% have played it more than twice. You know what I mean? This is a relatively yeah. new game. It's oh, a yeah, very yeah. complex game and a lot of gamers like to play the next thing. And, you know, if we're having a game day, we're typically not playing the same game twice. We want to play three or four different games exactly. in the day. Uh, I have no way of knowing that, but I, I do wonder how many folks put it, played it once and thought, well, it's it's apparently the best game ever, so 10, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and looking at the people that were playing it the other day at our meetup, I mean, I think that they played a couple games to begin with, but that was pretty much the only game they played. That was the... Uh, you- what do we say? The tent pole, the, the flagship oh, yeah. game. Yeah. If you're having a, a game day, a game night, this can be the anchor. This is where you can plop your chair. And you know what? They all had a great time with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did not see anybody that came away from that just being upset that, God, I spent all this time on this one game. They all seem to have an absolute blast playing it. I'll tell you what we'll do next time Jason can make it out to the shop. Maybe I'll try and stay a little bit late. We'll get in a day with him, get this to the table a couple of times. We'll get it on TTA, get in some more plays. I could see reviewing it after some of the hype dies down. Like yeah. maybe like a when the dust has settled, 8-bit breakdown. That sounds like a plan there. Brave adventurers, Mondo Games has joined our party. Get 10% off your purchase with Mondo Games using promo code LEVELUP. L-E-V-E-L-U-P. You can go straight to their website or just click the Mondo button on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Want to expand your options in Unmatched? Enjoy a solo game of A Gentle Rain. Or maybe you're getting fired up for The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. Don't just score some loot, get 10% off with promo code LEVELUP. Hi, right, Scott. Next up, we got one that we both played. How do you want to do? Do you want me to explain the game and you can share the thoughts or vice versa? How are we going to go about this one? Well, I like to be the off the cuff kind of person. So why don't you explain the game? All right, we'll do. Uh, we're talking about Abstract Academy. This is a game from Crafty Games designed by Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin and Sean Stank- Stankwich? Stanka? Well, I, I wouldn't stop with Sean Stank. Stank don't work here anymore, that's for sure. (laughs) 
In Abstract Academy, a single canvas awaits two to four art students who want to win the professor's approval. This is a 2022 game, and we had a chance to play that. Well, we didn't actually play this one together. This one I played with no, my wife, not. and then I handed off to you, who I assume you got a chance to play this with Heather a bit. Let's talk a little bit about what Abstract Academy is, what's going on in the game. It's three rounds. Each round has its own goals, be them assignments or professor cards. They're basically going to outline patterns that you're shooting for. What does that mean? Okay, the the game is comprised of a deck of cards that have Mm -hmm. four quadrants on each card and some combination of yellow, blue, and red, just colors. That's it. They're actually painted on the card. It doesn't look like it was done with a MS paint or whatever. (laughs) The game plays over a four by four grid on the table, but... Interestingly enough, it's not an established grid at the start of the play. You don't be like, I'm going to play this to the bottom left. No, you drop a card wherever you like. And once the width of four cards is established, once you have a row of four, well, you know that's every card as far as rows go have to be within those four. You have your borders. Same thing with depth. Once you have a column of four, you've established those borders. More importantly, now you know your personal scoring area. The two rows nearest to you those are what you score. So if the end round goals say, well, you need to have uh, blocks of red or who has the largest bit of yellow in an area, you're looking at your own two rows right in front of you. Further, the row nearest you can only have cards placed in it from that point on by you and you alone. A turn is as simple as play a card and draw a card. You'll play for three rounds and whoever scores the most points wins. What do you think of Abstract Academy, Scott? This is a nice version. I like to think of this as Sagrada the card game, mm. where it's very similar, where you're building up artwork, different colors and stuff. And Heather really enjoyed this as well because it wasn't too thinky. It wasn't bogged down by a lot of rules, but still there was a lot of strategy involved with this. As you said, you don't have that four by four area planned out to begin with. Right. So you could play two cards And then you play that third card next to you or next to your opponent, that kind of shows where things are going to go. So it changes constantly. The board is constantly changing. And each time that you're playing with the professor cards or the artwork cards, it's completely different. It gives you different rules to judge your uh, painting by. This is, once again, falls into that you're waiting for your food or you're going out to eat and you have just an appetizer. Yeah, something. it's a quick game, isn't it? A little game you can play on the table there. And it's those are so much fun because people come up, like the waitress come up, what's this? What are you playing? And then you describe Nerds. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> hey, hey. I wear that nerd thing proudly. But, uh, but yeah, it's it really fits in nicely with that game. Great two-player game. It could definitely play as a four-player game, but I think it shines at two-player. Yeah, I agree with you there. And You know what? I actually kind of like the look of the game with the three colors. It it doesn't do anything. You know, I'm not getting psyched because I see some blotches of red and blue and yellow. But, you know, for the sake of this game, it's nice. It works out well. And I like that, like I said earlier, it's not just a flat color. Somebody actually mm-hmm. took a paintbrush and put some red yeah, on that yeah. side of it. Like it's – I don't want to say it's actual artwork. I'm that – oh my God, Scott. We went to MoMA. This is like 12 years ago. We went to New York and we went to the Museum of Modern Art. 
And I was that yokel that is walking through thinking, oh, hell, I could have done that. This isn't art. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm not going to call it art, but at least it is, you know, actual painted squares and you know, painted rectangles on the cards instead of just here's a color. Yeah, I had that same story. I was in a museum of art in uh, Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. There was a huge canvas painted yellow. That was it? That was it. That was it. It actually made me angry. <laughs> you wouldn't so like Scott get, when he's angry. It, it did get a, 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 an emotional feel out of me. But no, this one here, I love how it's not just like cut and dry. Boom, boom. Here's your square. That's that color. Yeah, it looks like someone actually painted that. So whenever you're done, it does look like a piece of modern art. I mean, I can't say that I really understand all types of modern art. But it still has a nice color. I mean, with the red, yellow, and blue, it still can put together to make a pleasant look. So the game has a nice look to it. Let's talk a little bit more about the gameplay. You know what? I think for me, the, the X factor, what does Abstract Academy bring to the table that other games like this don't, is the fact that the 4x4 four four grid is not established. So you were saying, like, yeah. at the very beginning, let's suppose that you and I are playing. You start with a card that is half blue and half red, and you put it right between us. And one of our point scoring cards says, you know, who has the most blue and red cards? Cards with blue and right. red. Well, I want that to be in front of me. So on my turn, I'm going to take my card and I'm not going to place it on my side of your blue red card. I'm going to put it on your side. Thus, yes. I'm kind of establishing our board and saying, no, that's closer to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to probably play your card on the other, on the opposite side of it. And then finally, the fourth card I'll put on your side. So, haha, it's in the two rows nearest to me. I've claimed, if you will, that card. I thought that was pretty neat. This reminded me of another game uh, from years and years ago called Seven Dragons. Mm -hmm. And this was the same thing where you had to combine different dragons. They had the same picture of the dragon, but in smaller squares, bigger squares, whatever. And you had to try and connect so many of them together to get five red dragons together or something like that. With the ability to move things around and kind of exert your authority as to what at least early you on want to go, you know? yeah, that really makes a big difference there. And having that confined space once it's built up, that's it. You're done. You're you're forced to work in that parameter. Then, okay, let's temper expectations just a little bit here uh, because you know I am going to say I didn't love Abstract Academy. Then now, first of all, you know I've said this this sort of thing before. These kind of abstract, kind of easy to pick up, puzzly games, they don't do a lot for me. So there wasn't a big hook for me for abstract cat. Dude, sometimes I play a game and in my mind, I'm like, holy crap, I can't wait to break this out with Mike or wait until Scott sees this. Anytime I finish this, I'm like, that was interesting. That was enjoyable. But then I'm not setting it back up. You know what I mean? It's it's like, okay, we we did a thing. It's, it's, it's an enjoyable thing, but I'm not like shouting from the mountaintops, abstract academy. You know, it, it's it's a simple game. Yeah, that's something that I know that it's that I found difficult since we started this. There are some games that don't just like blow our tops and everything that mm -hmm. we're like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. But it doesn't mean that it's a bad game. Right. We want to try and temper things here. We want to tell people, yes, we enjoyed it, but 
we don't want people to think that we're just glad handing every game that we get or every game we play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are some things that hold us back from saying this is the greatest game ever. So it's difficult to do this. It's a perfectly acceptable game. It's a lot of fun to play. But yeah, it's not one that we're going to finish up and like, okay, let's set this up again. You know how at the grocery store they take the name brands and the expensive and the flashy stuff and they put it right at eye level? Oh my God, go mm-hmm. to a kid's section and the most important, like the most expensive toys are right at eye level for, for your seven year old? Okay. Well, you would know that better than <laughs> I. <laughs> on my gaming shelf, like I'm probably going to have Abstract Academy on my shelf. I don't think yes. that it was a bad game, but it's not going to be one at eye level. If that if that calibrates my thoughts a little bit, I won't turn down a play. I'm probably not pushing to get it to the table. I'm keeping it, but it's mm-hmm. not going to be, you know, it, it's going to be with the uh, with the generic brands at the top. You know, one of those like, oh, if someone notices it. Yeah, we can break it out. Okay. Well, hey, that would be Abstract Academy. So, yeah. We like it, and if it falls into your category of games, check out Abstract Academy. Running low on supplies during your adventures? Don't want to shell out too much coin to gear up? Level Up's got your back. We've teamed up with Tabletop Tycoon to get listeners of the show 10% off a couple of the biggest titles they carry. First up, Nemo's War. You've heard our thoughts on this one. A grand strategy game jam-packed with meaty decisions. And the theme here, oh, I tell you what, it tells a story every time you play. Plus, Everdell, an early review here at Level Up and a personal favorite for both of us. If you don't have it, you've got to get in on it. Look, not many games get multiple expansions after they release. Only the best. And Everdell, it's one of them. The perk, just for you, is 10% off Nemo's War, Everdell, or the Everdell Collector's Edition just by using promo code LEVELUP2022. You can visit their website at tabletoptycoon.com or click the link on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Add any of these gems to your cart, that's Nemo's War, Everdell, or the Everdell Collector's Edition, and use promo code LEVELUP2022, all caps, no spaces, for 10% off. Get these games on the table and level up. One of the games popped up here that I saw that I remember playing with you, and it looked like there was something new or something. It was QE. Ah, yes, QE, Quality Emissions. No. Quadratic Erection. No. Quintuplet Escape. Oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I I would play that. QE stands for quantitative easings. Uh, Scott, there you, you go. You played this one with me, right? Yes, yes, I did. So, adventures. We're talking a 2019 game designed by Gavin Birnbaum and published by BoardGameTables.com. The theme of QE is financial crisis has occurred. Sixteen too big to fail companies from four countries need bailing out. The central banks have unlimited financial resources, so lots of money is going to be printed. But the central banks also face disaster, print too much money, and the country that they represent goes bust. How do we put that in a board game form? Players are going to take on the role of these central banks that basically throw money around the table. So (laughs) in a turn, you're simply going to flip up an industry tile. Everybody gets their own sheet, like their own card to keep track of their scores and, you know, the how many of uh, these countries did I get, et cetera. But the main meat of the game is that you have this stack of industry tiles. And at the start of a round, you're going to have one person as the auctioneer, and that'll rotate as play continues, but they're going to flip up an industry tile. 
It's got a number of points, an industry type, and a country. Now, the main thing on here is the points, but the other things matter. Like if you're playing as the UK, you get a little bonus for acquiring tiles with the UK symbol. The points are the, the big meat on that card, though. The active player, the person whose turn it is and they're the auctioneer, they flip it up and they place a bid on their bidding card, but they do it face up. Everyone can see it. Everybody mm -hmm. else places their bids on their cards face down and turn them into the auctioneer. Now that auctioneer is going to look at each of the bids and they'll find the winning one. They write the amount that won. So if I'm the auctioneer and I say, okay, guys, I'm going to bid $500 on this company. I bet everybody turns in their cards. I look at the cards and I find the highest one. Oh, wow. This person went $2,200. I'm going to write it on the back of that industry tile so no one can see it. I'm just going to pass it back to whoever won that industry. The amount stays hidden. So everybody that lost, they must know, well, it was higher than 500 because Pat didn't win. I wonder what it was. I bid 800 and I didn't win. So it must be higher than that. Play continues going around the table, and each player is going to get a chance to be the auctioneer three times. And when the last round is complete, the game ends. Here's where I usually say the high score is the winner who accumulated the most companies. But in the case of QE, whoever spent the most money scores zero points. <laughs> mm -hmm. And boy, does that mess with your brain. This game is wild. There's going to be that game where you lost the first few auctions. So you're like, all right, screw it. I'm bidding 15000 I'm just going to go nuts. And then you lose that auction too. <laughs> <laughs> then you become the auctioneer and the other players' bids come in. You're like, okay, fine. A three-point company, 15000 didn't win. Fine. I will, guys, I'm starting the bidding. $25,000 thinking you're blowing their minds. And they all turn into their cards and you're like, 110000 a quarter million? What the, what is going on here? $5 billion? <laughs> what? One hundred billion dollars. Gentlemen, silence. Now, Mr. Evil. Dr. Evil. I didn't spend six years in evil medical school to be called Mr. Thank you very much. <laughs> so you start to go, oh, they're playing on a whole nother level. And you've got to like calibrate and constantly keep upping to stay like in the race, but not over because you don't want to be the person that ends up having spent the most money. Scott, we played this at PAX, I think. When I was yes. asking you before we talked, yeah, I said, did you play this before? That's where you played it with me, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Played it at PAX, and this is one of those games that it kind of falls into a party game-ish kind of game. Yeah, that's where fair. There's a, a lot of talking, a lot of joking, a lot of laughing going on in this game. Oh, my because, God. Because, yeah. yeah, as you said, it goes from, uh, what is it, from Spaceballs. It goes, go... <laughs> Ludicrous speed. Light speed. Prepare ship for light speed. No, 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 light speed is too slow. Light speed too slow? Yes, we're going to have to go right to ludicrous speed. <gasps> ludicrous <laughs> speed. So it gets to the point of ludicrous bids, where you're like, 75 quadrillion dollars. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, what? <laughs> But each level, each auction it goes out, it gets higher and higher and higher. It always and works then, out that way. It doesn't need to, yes, but it always no. does that. Yeah, it's it's so funny watching that. This was a game that I had heard nothing about. So this definitely is a hidden gem. A little under the radar. There. Yeah, BoardGameTables.com, yeah, 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 they just so. had, uh, do you see ads and whatnot for Kabuto Sumo? Yes, yes, I saw that at PAX as well. Okay, and do you remember a couple years ago the game On Tour? 
Yes, yes. Same company. Uh Same company did QE, but it is a little under the radar. You know, I'd been in the hobby for – the game had been out for a while before I – oh, what is this? I think I heard about it on another show and they were like, this is nutty. Uh, And that's what sort of turned (laughs) me on to him. Did you like it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely did like it. And it's one of those things where I don't think if you had brought it up, I don't think I would have played it because I would have looked at it and thought, I don't understand what it is. So it this definitely needs the word of mouth for people to play it. Oh, yeah. It's not one that's going to sell multi-million copies just on shelf space. Well, I absolutely love QE. It's a game that makes me feel clever and powerful, two things that I look for in my games. And I bring it up today because QE has QE Commodities, which now presents new investment opportunities for different countries. As an expansion to QE, you now have the ability to diversify your portfolio by investing in gold, oil, and crypto. Another element of the expansion will also allow you to lower your total spend throughout the game, providing like an extra li- – like, oh, crap, I think I spent too much. Apparently, they're going to have some way to lower your total spend level after you've spent it. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be uh, – I think it's going to be crowdfunded. I don't have that information yet, but uh, keep your eyes open for QE Commodities. If QE sounds like fun, and darn it, it is, you're probably going to oh, yeah. like QE Commodities. Definitely check that one out. Mm, excuse me. <laughs> you know, we're keeping that. It's time for the top 100, Scott. You ready? Yeah, I got to worry about my body here if it's making those kind of noises. <laughs> I cut the noise from the audio so people don't have to hear your your guttural sounds. Scott, our prime movers, Kanban EV, which cracked the top 100 not that long ago, is up to number 89. Arc Nova is at number 19. And climbing oh. quick. Falling Stars, Rages of the North Sea, down to number 94. Top 100 debuts, not really a debut, it's just back in the top 100. At number 100 is the Isle of Cats. Hmm, all right. New Highest Peaks. These games are higher than they've ever been. And you know what? I misspoke when I said Arc Nova at 19th. Just in those 10 seconds, Arc Nova is now at number 16. Eclipse, oh Second Dawn for the Galaxy at number 30. Pax Pamir, number 42. Pandemic Legacy Season 0. We keep mentioning that. It's a, it's a slow trickle, but it keeps going yeah. up. Number 63, Crew Mission Deep Sea at 69. Cascadia is up to 80. And Kanban EV up to number 89. Wow, that one's sneaking up as well. Happy birthdays go out to Lost Ruins of Arnak. Been on there for a year. Architects of the West Kingdom, three years now. Oh. Dune Imperium for a year. Yeah. And I'm so glad I get to bring up Star Wars Rebellion at six years because don't think I've forgotten that you owe me a game, sir. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I will definitely gladly <laughs> take you up on that game. Speaking of owing, you owe me a walkthrough of today's review game, Lock Up, with the Breakout expansion. I'm going to go over in my booth and tell you all about how to play Lock Up. We're going to take a look at Lockup, a role-player tale. This was published by Thunderworks Games, released in 2019, and designed by Stanislav Kordonsky. It takes a little over an hour to play. Have you ever wanted to play a game where you're a deadly team of inmates in a fantasy world, struggling to make your gang the strongest and the most influential in the prison? Well, I think we found your game. When setting up the game, you will gather the six tokens for your gangs. You will also place resources, tome cards, and goon cards around the board. 
The goon carts will symbolize ne'er-do-wells that will join your gang, but there is a cause to them. They will bring some suspicion with them in the form of gray plastic cubes. More on that a little bit later. Play takes place over three phases in each of six rounds. First phase is the roll call. Players take turns placing their minions in different parts of the prison. Some face up, showing a unit's strength, and some face down, hiding the strength from the other players. The strength in the minions go from 2 to 5. Well, 2, 3, 4, 5. That's 4. What do the other two characters have there, King Scott? Well, they have a fist and an eye. Yes, and I know what you're saying. Those aren't numbers. You would be correct. They are special abilities. We'll get to that in a minute. The next phase is lights out. Each area with minions is scored based on the strength of each player's crew. There are eight rooms where your minions can end up. Each one of these rooms will gain you resources, strength cubes, goons, items, or tomes. Now, to figure the strength of your team, flip over all your tokens and add up the numbers. One of the rooms where you can place your character is in the yard. Now, the yard is decorated with weight benches and barbells and all that stuff. So, if you win this area, you get a power cube. Each power cube then increases the strength of your enforcer. Remember that fist I said earlier? Yep, that's your enforcer. So, each power cube you get, it will increase the strength of the enforcer by one. Gangs that do not get a reward for taking a room will be sent to the library. These, once again, will be judged on their strength and will be able to add tomes to their gang that will give them special abilities to break the rules a little. I mean, come on, it's prison. The third phase is the patrol phase. Now, new resources are placed on the game board and the guards patrol the dungeon. If all of the suspicion from the suspicion pool have been placed, the guards can't turn a blind eye anymore. Players with high suspicion are raided and their chambers are searched. The goon cards placed at the proper rooms also give you suspicion in the form of plastic cubes I spoke about earlier. The guards are on to you and you're going to lose a whopping 8 points for being too shady. But if you use your lookout strategically, remember that guy with the eye? Yep. You won't get any suspicion when taking the resources from the room. That's it, really. In its simplicity... This game really shines. To make things even more interesting, in 2022, Thunderworks Games released Lockup Breakout. This adds another character in a small underground tunnel network to lead your gang to possible freedom, but more importantly, more points. Now, time to see how Patrick feels about my uh, singing and uh, hear what he has to say about Lockup and Lockup Breakout. Lock up. Break out. Well, thank you, King, for that walkthrough and breakdown of lock up and break out. Yes. <laughs> Adventures, we like to break down our games using the 8-bit breakdown. We're going to look at eight facets of this game, tell you all about it, give you our thoughts, help you decide if this one is for you, starting with bit number one, the art and the components. What you got, King? 
Well, I thoroughly love the look of this game. This still has the same artwork as all the other role player games mm-hmm. as far as cartographers and role player. This is in the same world, so it looks great. The jail cells where you place your prisoners, you have little standees that you put up to put your prisoners on. You have little squares for your prisoners. Kind of like when you you used to play Scrabble and you put all your letters on that little holder. Your prisoners are basically little tiles, or in your case with the upgraded bits, you got the plastic ones, the holders. Tell us about those holders. It could have been just that, a Scrabble holder. That's it. But no, they went the extra little mile here that you have six prisoners and they actually cut little areas out and have a cardboard thing that goes up inside so you can look through the jail cells and see all your prisoners lined up in there. It was just a great little thing that was added. Didn't need to be there, but it was a great upgrade to it. Hands down the best tile holder in any board game I've ever played. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) There you go buy it. Base components are great, but the upgraded components that they sent us to take a look at, thanks, Tim, are great. The heavy plastic little tiles are great whenever you're putting them down. You hear that click Mm, as you put them down on the board. And it just has a great table presence. It's very welcoming kind of thing there. People walk past and right away they're like, whoa. What's this? Yeah, and if you're a gamer, you're going to be familiar with it because of that uh, that playful kind of cartoony looking fantasy art that we find in role player. Yeah. Scott, bit number two is theme and immersion. I'm going to take the lead on this one. I don't know that it felt like a prison break any more than, say, Lords of Waterdeep felt like gathering a fighting party, right? Worker placement mm-hmm. games tend to have a bit of – they're more mechanical in nature. And when the primary action is going to be gaining resources, coupled with the interplay of having to wager whether you're devoting enough strength at a location – There's enough gameplay going on here that I found myself using that analytical side of my brain. Now, the rooms are thematic. Like you gain strength by going out into the – what are they – you go lift weights in the yard. You know, they have the library where you can get spells. That all makes sense. I loved it in the one playthrough. I kept sending my guys out into that yard. They were all like pumping the iron, getting intimidating (laughs) so that my one muscle – like he was actually muscle by the end of the game. The goons that you can recruit, they're playful enough. But again, they function more like a mechanism in the game than something got me wrapped up in in like, oh, that's a rat man. And he's a rat man because of this. No, no, no. He he was points and he was points that scaled this way. Thematically, the theme, the theme's cute. It's enchanting. I like it. The immersion into that theme, it's held back for me a little bit, but for a good reason. And that reason being that the gameplay is so rich. What did you think? Yeah, it- I didn't really get immersed in it either. The only place that I did get immersed in it is whenever we added the expansion for Breakout. Mm. And that was kind of fun because you have only one figure that you can send down there. You have your lookout. That, well, not the lookout. Oh, he's got the lantern on him. The seeker? Yes. The explorer? You send him down through the tunnels, and that I found kind of immersive because it's just this tiny little map. And you're sending them down through the sewers and then in past the tomb. All right. All right. Now, hold on. Hold this. on. Underneath this prison, there's apparently a Sphinx statue, an ancient, like, Egyptian-looking pharaoh statue god. There's a railroad, or mining carts, at least, with railroad tracks. I know I saw that. There was an acid pool with steppies. Those rooms, it's colorful, and it's fun, and it's whimsical, but, man, they cram just about everything. Down. They need a Starbucks <laughs> somewhere in the breakout path. <laughs> 
Patrick, you small-minded fool. How dare you? You can have anything you want underneath a prison in this world. <laughs> well, you know, it is kind of neat. They're in a fantasy world. They can get away with that sort of thing. I thought it was cute. Let's talk complexity. How meaty is this game? It's not too complex. And that's not a bad thing. The complexity comes from the decisions. You got to work out, are you going to bluff this time? Are you not going to bluff? That's the biggest part to this game. Are you going to put your enforcer face down with your number two guy and then make him think, well, wait, he might be sending his explorer out to check underneath there, not knowing that I'm just going to pound him into the ground with my enforcer. (laughs) That's the biggest thing there. You have so much to do as far as your decisions. Oh, you said it. The The rule set's easy enough. I think the complexity is derived from, uh, let's call it the blind bidding. The fact that you yeah. might really need the most strength at a location, but you do have to speculate on what a, a other players have already devoted to that spot or might devote after you place your piece. I might put my five piece hoping to win, but if somebody already has a piece face down there, should I be devoting two of mine that are smaller ones? Maybe their piece is only two strength and I'm wasting my five by putting it there. See, that's next level yeah. gaming. That's gaming that's off the board and in your head. And when a game can do that for you, I I think, A, I think it's a lot of fun. But B, that is a different level of complexity that can't be found in the mechanisms on the table. Yeah, there's something about whenever you do that bluff and you flip it over. And once again, you get one of those damn it moments. You feel more clever than normal because you just got something over on somebody. Not that you took a spot that you wanted to do. You're both playing for the same spot, Mm -hmm. but you were able to bluff them out of that spot because you were just sneaky. I mean, it's that's such a neat aspect of the game. Now, we didn't disclose with each other some of our like little tricks up our sleeve, but when I'm playing with you, we well, you and I, I think, played this together, what, three times? You got it at the meetup with other people. Okay. For me, when I'm, when I was playing this with you, it was like, I'm going to put my, my two and my three face down and hope that he thinks, Oh, wow, that Pat just put like eight power there because I want that mm-hmm. location and I want you to back off, but I still want to have my five available. That I felt like. I'm the only person that's ever thought of something so brilliant. <laughs> now that was my big trick. I like that. Bit number four. What did you think about learning the game? Yeah, bit number four, rulebook and learning curve. The learning curve I'll take, it is, as always, going to depend on your playgroup. So if you've played worker placement games, I mentioned Lords of Waterdeep, Viticulture, you're going to understand how that works. Now, it might take you a round or two to grasp the importance of placing the right strength pieces at the right time. And sometimes that means getting a little familiar with playing the odds against other players, Mm -hmm. but mechanically... No one's going to be held up here. This was uh, this is Stan Kordonsky designed this one, and uh, I had the chance to talk to him and play a game of Resurgence on Tabletop Simulator with him not that long ago. I think I talked about it back on the show whenever it was on Kickstarter. Stan designed – Scott, do you remember when we played Rorik, Dawn of Kiev? Yes. And the meeples each have their own power. Uh, oh, my, yes, Very yes. similar. It's not blind, but you do have to make a commitment and, and stake your claim and where you're at in that spot. Lockup and Rora came out at about the same time, so I don't know which one drew inspiration from the other, but you can kind of see that Stan was uh, was juggling this concept and wanted to implement it in two different ways, and I think he did a fantastic job here. Learning curve is easy. Let me ask you this, Scott. You played this at the meetup with someone who'd never played it before, and I know you played it with someone who, I gather, doesn't play many board games. 
Did, mm -hmm. did they grasp it? Did they seem to have any issues? They picked up on it quite quickly. Uh, the rule book is laid out very nicely. I was a little bit worried whenever I got the breakout expansion as well. And I'm like, there's a lot of different things here. But that just fit in just seamlessly with the main yeah, rule book. Uh, they have everything broken down into the different aspects of each turn. And anything you possibly want to figure out, it's in there. It's very, very simple, very intuitive to play this game. Thunderworks is uh, kind of uh, finding a spot in the level up good rule book column, huh? Yes, this has yes, been they are. With Cape May and role play. Yeah, they're, they're starting to get a reputation for me anyway of putting out a quality rule book. Most definitely. Scott, where is the meat of lockup? The meat of lockup is in the commissary. No, I <laughs> joke. The meat of this game is definitely the bluffing, as far as I can, I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. This is where everything comes down to it. That is the biggest part of this game. You want to be able to be sneaky, but then, of course, you're going to be sneaky. You're prisoners. You're trying to break out of this prison. But yeah, the bluffing aspect is such a big part of this that I feel that... For me, that's the meat of this game. Yeah, I agree. There's there's definitely, we'll say, mechanisms attached to that. The need to get uh, like a set of dwarves, for example, or, or keeping an eye on what goon cards are going to be available. Managing your suspicion. Getting the mm -hmm. right resources at the right time to get the good item that you're searching yes. for. These are all mechanisms in the game where if you weren't blind bidding, that would be the game. And that would be fine. That would be a quality, good resource collection game. The blind bidding is what takes it to the next level. That's what makes this unique and stand out. I tell you something else. There's something really exciting when games give us a big reveal moment. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yes, yes. When the chips are down and it's time to show what you got. Boy, Lockup does that every single round. Mm -hmm. I love oh. that. Yeah, and it's great whenever you're playing with more than just two people. Uh, it's a lot of fun because you're you're up against two other groups of prisoners. You know? Do, am, am I okay with one getting over top of me, but not the other one? Do I really want to put everything in there to make sure I win it, but then lose out at the other one? Starting to have to There's evaluate so to each on. of the, the position. Okay, if I win this one. Oh, but I can get away with getting second and only getting two resources. Yeah. Oh, it's, there's a lot of meat here. I'm still yeah, chewing so on it. We do really enjoy this. But then that brings us up to bit number six, the replayability and variability. What do you think about that? Well, there's variability in the cards that can be recruited, as, as we mentioned. The order that they show up, I think, is important. Like those demons, uh, the, the most recent play that we had, I scored a lot off the demons at the end that are looking for valuables. If they are yes. there early in the game, man, that's hard to commit to, okay, I'm going to try and find the right treasures to work with my demon card. However, if you already have the treasures and the demon comes up late, one of the goons that you can acquire, oh, that's a thing. My first thought was that I'd like some more variation in those goons, but as they have some things like exponential points, like the dwarves and the ratmen, mm -hmm. it makes sense that we have some well-defined sets within the deck. Items in the cell block are, are going to be variable from game to game. The order that they show up, obviously, it's going to be different. And that might change your tactical decisions, but they don't change the game's complexion. You just go for different resources than you might have in a different game. Mm -hmm. They have the spells that you get from the library. And I said this, we got this back to the table yesterday. And I said, I like the spells here. None of them are game breaking. 
They're all yeah, very yeah. niche, like nuanced. This probably won't matter. If it does matter, great. If it doesn't, okay, it's a point at the end of the game. But every single one of them has that one scenario where it's like, oh, it mattered and it made a difference. Light oh, yes. variables that can change the game. It's got a lot of that. Yeah, my biggest thing here is I didn't think there's that much variability in mm -hmm. it. You have, yeah, the different things that will come out, but that's going to come out time and time again. I think this has a huge amount of replayability just in the aspect of your bidding. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're going to bid at each place. You don't know if someone's going to be super competitive, super aggressive. Or are they going to be just playing certain niches and going only to certain areas of the prison? So that's where this game shines. It shines in the replayability because you can get everything down as far as what, what you know is going to be coming out, as far as the cards are coming out, the different spells that are coming out. You can know all that, but you don't know what your opponent's going to do at that one specific time you're playing against them. And that's where the replayability shines. Bit number seven, we focus on a game's downsides. Every game has them, and even if we love a game, we try and find reasons why some folks might not. Scott, what do you got for downsides on Lockup and Lockup with the Breakout expansion? I don't have many things with downsides. The only thing that I have to say is with the board. Mm -hmm. Up in the top right-hand corner, you have two of the rooms up there that kind of get meshed together a little bit. You have the commissary and I think the infirmary. Okay. They're right next to each other. They're very close. That's where you're going to be getting goons at. That's where you're going to be trading in resources for other resources. But they're so close together, and each one of the rooms is colored a different color. Mm -hmm. These two are almost identical. So they get kind of meshed in there. So you can catch yourself whenever you're playing going, oh, I wanted to do this, but I should have gone there. Oh, crap. Went to the wrong one. <laughs> yes. So that's the biggest thing there that I see that that little part of the board gets a little convoluted, a little confusing. Okay. But that's that's my main downside that I can think of. What did you think? I thought it was tough to come up with some too. I mean, it's a solid game that it, it is streamlined. If somebody said, well, what does it mean for a game to be streamlined? I'd tell them, look at Lockup. That's, that's a streamlined game. It's not complex. It's easy to revisit because so much of the gameplay comes from other players at the table and the guessing game of what other people are doing. So what can we find as a downside? I guess there is some luck in how the goons show up. So oh, true. if the initial board setup has two dwarves amongst the goons, dwarves are a card that whenever you acquire them, if you, if you finish the game with one, you get one point. If you have two of them, you get three points. Three of them are worth seven points, etc. We've seen that in games before. So I see two on that opening board and I snatch them up. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to finish the game with like eight dwarves and only one more comes up. Oh man, well, I committed to a plan early and it just didn't pan out. The one that's even worse is the Ratman, because if you get one and you're playing on, on running on Ratman, you have minus But they start three on a points. negative. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're case in point. Uh, but that said, there's not much to pick on with Lockup. No. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be anyone's favorite game, but you'd be hard pressed to come up with concrete examples of downsides, or at least I am. Yeah. Now- was it fun? Who's it for? We want to know that that's for our final bit, bit number eight. Lockup's a ton of fun, Scott. I mean, you take elegant, 
simple resource collecting and worker placement. And by simply mixing in the unknown of the blind worker strength, it elevates it to an interactive game where you're constantly weighing your options against what other players might be up to. Normally we see in worker placement, well, if I went there, you can't go there or only one person's going to get it. This one, you can both go to a space and you don't know who's going to get it. And man, that's fun. Mm -hmm. Who's it for? We had this at the table mostly with like gamers, you know, the type that is going yep. to listen to or, or host a board game podcast. It was completely <laughs> fulfilling. And while we didn't play with our, like a younger crowd, I bet you'd be able to get this out with 10-year-olds. You know what I mean? You could almost classify this as a family game because nothing's too difficult to understand. You want a game with a low barrier of entry, a Euro game with interaction. I think you're going to love Lockup. Yeah, I agree. This is a nice entry-level game to get people involved with this. This is a good one. Like, if you have friends that like playing poker or different type of bluffing games, this is one you could easily teach them how to play this game, and they would still get enjoyment out of this as well. This could actually fall into that, uh, the old chestnut type of game, that game that you pull out time and time again. You're always going to have fun with it. You may not anchor a game night to it, but whenever it comes out, everyone's going to be happy to see it come out. Full disclosure for listeners, we did get a copy of this provided by Thunderworks Games. We always like to point out whenever we didn't actually have yes. to shell out our own funds. So if you think that makes this entire review illegitimate that we're shilling for Thunderworks, well, <laughs> we're the ones getting rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this this is one that I don't think I would have played if we did not get a copy of it. And for that, I feel bad for that because I would have been missing out on a great gaming experience here. Is it staying in your collection? Oh, most definitely. Well, then, it is definitely going to stay there. Then I'd say you owe uh, Keith and but, Tim 50 bucks. Oh, <laughs> hey, uh, checks in the mail. It's the Industrial Revolution through the end of the 1700s and through the 1800s in Birmingham, and players assume the roles of entrepreneurs developing their networks in order to exploit high and low market demands. Brass Birmingham is an economic Euro game for two to four players, and having just reviewed a Euro game that has players constantly paying attention to each other's actions, I'd say Brass feels like an appropriate look back for today. Scott, how did you feel about Brass Back then, one year ago. <laughs> it, it's This is a difficult one to talk about here because whenever I played it, I was thoroughly confused. I was confused <laughs> on what's going to happen here with what's going to play. But once we were done, I did understand it better than I did whenever I started out. I still don't have a complete grasp on everything, but it was such an enjoyable time there. The whole idea of going through and making sure that you have the ability to ship your goods around the, the board and everything, it was such an enjoyable thing. And trading in goods for money, I definitely want to get back to it. I want to get better at this game. That's my biggest thing there. And if there's a game that I want to look at and I feel like I want to get better at it, that's definitely a sign that it's a good game. Yeah, back then, uh, I think I said it was one of my favorite Euros, and that obviously is going to hold true just one year later. 
we did our wrap-up episode at the end of season one, and we each talked about our top 10 games that we reviewed mm-hmm. in the first year of this show. That can be found, Adventures, in episode 39. Uh, hey, speaking of which, our regular episodes aren't exactly time-sensitive. I mean, we do a little Kickstarter talk in the banter, but we, like, we don't have a regular news segment or anything. So if you joined us in the past few months and you're all caught up, but you started in episode 30 or something, eh, go back and give us a listen to some of those older episodes. Yeah. Find something that you might have missed. Anyway, in episode 39, I think we both put Brass in, I think it was in our top five, or at least in our top oh, three. Easily, I think I yes. had it at number two, maybe number three overall in the, in the whole year. Well, it's ranked number three on BGG, so we don't need to butter up Brass <laughs> to get the point across that it is an excellent game and one that many consider a collection essential Part of our look back is we like to look on BGG and find, okay, if we if we loved a game, what are some of the complaints? What, what do people who don't like it have to say? And you know what, Scott? There are 28,000 ratings of what? Brass on BoardGameGeek. Wow. Less than 1% of people ranked it either a 3 or a 2 or a 1. You put all the 1s, 2s, and 3s together. That's less than 1% of the ratings. So, yeah. That says something for the game. Dude. <laughs> Do we recommend it? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like if someone who never had food before asked if we would recommend pizza. <laughs> Adventurers, the hospitality industry is difficult. For the past three or so years, I've been working in the restaurant industry, and I can tell you one thing's for sure. People are picky and peculiar about what they want when they come to an establishment that's supposed to offer services to them of the hospitality nature, meaning restaurants, hotels, amusement parks, cruises, things of that nature. They spend money and they want what they want and they will cause a ruckus until that thing is given to them. I'll say 95% of the time people are chill and wonderful to work with, but the 5% seems to what stick out and really grind your gears. Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Lost Loot, the part of the show where I get to talk about any and all games ranked below 1,000 on Board Game Geek. Now, I talk about hospitality in this instance because the game I want to present to you today has to do with running an inn. Now, there are lots of games about running inns or taverns or bars. It's not an uncommon theme. But the game I want to present to you today doesn't involve moving around a bunch of cubes, keeping a track of counters, or moving along a giant bunch of different components that might get in the way of your experience. Today, I'm going to talk to you about an 18-card game. Now, the 18-card micro-game genre is pretty niche of in itself. Not a lot of people like it, but there is a good amount of us out in the board game universe who love these type of games. I am one of them. And especially, these are even more niche when you get into the solitaire-only games. We had Patrick and Scott recently talk about the solo game Nemo's War, which got me thinking about some of the games I play in the past that are solo. And it led me back to one of the old favorites that I've been wanting to talk about, but up until recently, haven't got a chance to get to the table. Because I'm here to talk to you today about a game that comes in at the rank of 4,058 on the Board Game Geek ranking scale, and that is The Ugly Griffin Inn, designed by Scott Alms and published by Button Shy Games. Now, I'm a huge Button Shy game guy. I like the 18-card genre, as I said before. It is one of my favorite things as a you know fledgling designer, and as a gamer, I appreciate. The idea of compacting so much game into just 18 cards really sparks my imagination. And you know what? For someone who has a busy schedule like me, it's a great thing just to have in your pocket, take out during lunch break, and play for 15 to 20 minutes, and get your nice little, and get a little brain jog going. 
Now this game was released as part of Button Shy's Simply Solo line, a line of games that, as you can tell from the title, are just solo, meant for one player. In the game of Ugly Griffin Inn, you own the only inn within a hundred miles, the questionably prestigious Ugly Griffin Inn. Your patrons are rowdy and rude, but they are the only ones around. In order to keep the debt collectors at bay, you must manage some painfully particular, peculiar patrons. The game takes place during a night at the Ugly Griffin. Players take a series of turns until the deck runs out of cards. Each turn starts with an in phase, when a patron heads to their room, followed by a bar phase, when a new patron arrives at the bar. In the in phase, players will select a patron at the bar and put them on the top part of the inn. In the bar phase, players will add a card to the bar face up, and then if there are fewer than four patrons at the bar, they continue to add until there are four patrons. The trick to this game is that each patron has a different quirk that makes them unique and very particular to who they want to either be at the bar next to, or who they are sleeping above or below at the inn. Along with these quirks, each different patron is irked by something, and if any patron has another patron who has something that irks them, they automatically leave the inn in a huff, causing you to lose extra money for the night. If too many patrons leave the bar in one night, you lose the game. But, if you're able to keep all your patrons in the bar and not lose too many, you win the game. It sounds simple, right? Well, I can tell you, it's anything but simple. Ugly Griffin provides a really cool little puzzle in which you're trying to stack the cards, and really it comes down to a game of choosing your battles. Which of these cards are going to be more beneficial for you in the long run, and which can you lose? And I really enjoy that type of puzzle choosing what to lose and what to gain. And since there are constantly new cards coming in, it's a puzzle that is tactical, and ever-changing puzzles are some of my favorite kind of games to play, and I think the 18-card genre lends itself really well to them. One thing that is really great about the Uglier Finn is that it provides you a simple puzzle that doesn't take up a lot of table space, but also makes you feel like you have a lot of clever moments going to happen. And you do. The game really feeds you clever moments, and if you are observant enough, you will find them, and it'll make you feel really good about yourself. The artwork is very charming and fantastic. It kind of gives me a, not exactly a Studio Ghibli feel, but something close to it, something that really emanates fantasy. So now, why is this lost loot? Well, for one, the 18-card genre is relatively ignored. A lot of people, when you say, you know, when you talk about the 18 cards, they might know of maybe Sprawlopolis. That is Button Shy's biggest game by far. And maybe Tussie Mussy, things of that nature, Skulls of Sedlak, some of the bigger, you know, multiplayer card games. And people honestly just don't like micro games. Some I, I find the board game community is very focused on you know the big gravitas, you know, awakened realms, Simon type games with lots of miniatures. The production quality is super high. And, you know that's fine. People can like those games, and I like playing those games once in a while. But the 18 card genre really hides some glorious gems of games, and like it hides some really great lost loot. And the Ugly Griffin Inn, I think, is a perfect entry point into what the 18 card genre can do. It's fantasy, which is very approachable, and has a fun, quirky theme. I really think that if you were to put this game in front of anybody and say, hey, play this with me, even though it's a slow game, play this with me, I think they would have a great time. The 18 card subdrama of gaming is something that I believe deserves more attention. I know lots of the designers who design these 18 card games, and they put just as much passion and work into these games as someone who makes The Descent, Journeys in the Dark, or even a Twilight Imperium. Maybe it doesn't take as long to develop, but just as much heart and effort is put into making them a great experience. And to be honest, it's a lot harder, I think, to design a really good 18 card game than it is to design a giant 4X game. 
you know, I might get some flack for that because, you know, I don't play too many 4X games, but as someone who loves and appreciates design, I will stand by that opinion, and if I die on that hill, I will die with glory and honor and with the Ugly Griffin in in my hands. Well, that's going to do it today for me, adventurers. Just remember, when you're looking at the Twilight Imperiums, the Eclipses, look to the shelf on the side for something that's a sizable wallet. You never know where you might find some lost loot. Hey, thanks, Josh and Adventures. I hope you're loving the Lost Loot segments as much as we are, Scott. What? What I do? <laughs> what? <laughs> you come from hospitality. You've managed an inn before. Josh was talking about those 5% of people that really grind your gears. You got any good stories for me? Oh, I, yeah, I did do. I, I managed hotels for about 13 years. And, oh, God, yeah, you got all sorts of stories. I have stories about people that would come in with their secretaries to do things. And, and it, yeah, it was all definitely business work that they were doing. Oh, we I would just have got people it. that would be upset if they were on the wrong side of the hotel. There would be all these different things. But I was the person that my employees would look at me sometimes and just be like in awe because I would just turn it around on them and just be like, well, I'm sorry. I guess we cannot adequately serve you the way you want to be served so i'll be happy to call another hotel and make a reservation for you scott you can't do that oh but i did and the <laughs> funny rebel. thing about it was that they actually turned out to be fantastic guests after that because huh. you took all the fight out of them all the wind out of their sails and they realized that hey we're going to treat them just like a normal person and that's something that they want. That's a lot of times they just want to be heard sometimes. Maybe. And yeah. that was a great thing there. And I was able to do that. One guy, he was just having an absolute fit. And I told him, well, I would be happy to call another hotel and make a reservation for you. And he did not know, know what to say. <laughs> but uh, I <laughs> mean, enough about that. <laughs> now, I know you had a lot of stuff with more immediate type of things with food service. Now, you did the lobster thing. Yeah. You've got to have some stories, too. You know what? I was racking my brain when I heard this lost loot. I was like, oh, we could each come up with our good story of the time that we – and you know what? I got nothing. I oh, got I got nothing as far as like a, a – well, I guess Red Lobster does the uh, – <laughs> okay. Red Lobster does endless shrimp. And oh, that yes. was always the season that was like, oh, no, it's coming. It's coming. You, you just you <laughs> grin and bear it. Okay, so on your first plate, you get 30 shrimp. So if you want grilled shrimp and shrimp scampi, you're going to get 15 of each on that first plate. And then when you want a right. refill, you get 10 on each refill. And you just uh -huh. keep getting refills as much as you want. So shrimp scampi is in that little, like, boat of right. 10 shrimp, and it's got that scampi butter. <laughs> oh, I could hardly <laughs> tell this story. <laughs> I had this guy have like, it had to have been 17 or 18 refills of shrimp scampi. Oh like by the time we were through, he, he had to have crushed 200 shrimp, shrimps, wow. shrimp, pieces of shrimp. So, and worse than that, the scampi butter <laughs> guy takes off for the bathroom. Oh no. <laughs> they had, they had to close the back of the restaurant <laughs> because oh. they were like, Brown footprints. Oh no! Floor. Oh, that's all I got. We gotta oh. get out of this. Let's get oh, on with Adventures on the Horizon. Yes, please, 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 let's go. 
Time for adventures on the horizon. You buckled in, Scott? Uh, I feel like I'm going to climb some trees. <laughs> we got Pine Island Games giving us a one to five player game designed by Jasper Birch called Nut Hunt. Okay, so I don't know about you, Scott. I was a little worried about this one. Well, yes. I mean, whenever I looked at it, I'm thinking, why is Patrick telling me that we're going to play Nut Hut? Yeah, right. And, and then I realized I forgot the N. And then it's a nut hunt. and, and That, that doesn't not, make it okay. any better. Uh, well, let's do it. Let's see what happens here. Oh, something, uh, something about that cute art. Uh, the cheeky name. It, it, you know what? I was thinking this is going to be something super basic, maybe a little bit too young for us. But we did have the chance to play it with the designer Jasper on TTS. We've got a theme where we're controlling our little posse of squirrels trying to collect nuts and build nests in such a fashion as to meet end game objectives. Now, all the while, there's a fox moving about these hex tiles that make up the board who's going to be displacing your little critters. At the start of the game, you'll get some objectives that give you an idea of where you need to be connecting circuits, like lines of mm -hmm. squirrels. So when the game ends, you need to connect this tile and this tile with a path of your squirrels and or squirrel nest. Like I might have a card that says connect dreamers Dell to the orchard. Simple enough. I just find them on the map and uh, I get to work. And as a uh, interpreter here, I will say, think ticket to ride. Mm-hmm. So how do we go about doing it in Nut Hunt? The turn structure is pretty simple. First, you got to move the fox, and that is simply rolling a d6 to determine where it moves. So it's random movement for the fox. It might cause it to enter a hex with squirrels, which can displace them. That may or may not cause a little havoc, and you do have the chance to like plan for it and hope that he comes to you. More importantly, it gives the active player some nuts based on where the fox went as shown on the newly entered hex tile that now houses said fox. You got me so far, adventurers. Good. Interpreter you got me, Scott? Moment. Interpreter <laughs> Go moment number two. Think Settlers of Catan. Sure. Next, you get to pick any one of three actions. You can recruit a squirrel, you can hassle the fox, or scout an objective. Recruiting is just trading in some number of those nuts that you've collected to get a new squirrel meeple. Hassling the fox actually draws him into your hex on purpose. And this can be a tricky way to get extra movement from one of your squirrels because it has to scatter away. Plus, you get an extra nut when doing so because the fox entered a new tile. Scouting, that's simply just drawing another objective card. You draw two and you keep one. So it's a means of scoring more points at the end of the game. And the game ends when somebody gets their fourth squirrel nest. And that is it. In and that's it in a nutshell. Oh. Uh, waka waka. Scott, what do you think about Nut Hunt? Going into this, I wasn't really that thrilled about it. But as we played, I saw it opening up and becoming a fun game. Like I said here, with the comparisons to Ticket to Ride and Settlers of Catan, this is a great thing because, once again, you can get into this game and say, hey, do you know how to play Catan? Do you know how to play Ticket to Ride? All right, we got the biggest part out of the way here. This is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. So you can get this game to the table relatively quickly. Being able to hassle a fox, that's a fun little added thing to add it onto it. And it's not a deep game, but still, it's a fun game. It's an entertaining game. I had a good time playing it, and that was that is my idea of, of a fun game. It, that, not all games are going to be knock your sock off kind of thing here. But as long as you were entertained and you had a good time, that's a sign of a good game. And I was. 
I think it was Ryan, uh, maybe Jimmy, knew that I was going to be playing this on TTS. And the next day they asked me how it went. And I responded, pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. It's a simple game, yes. So I do think a younger audience is going to be able to play it. But there's just enough meat on the bones that I can keep coming back to it and keep having a fulfilling play. Scott, there's something satisfying about blocking the other guy's routes and getting in the way of other yes. players. And all the while, you're trying to tease around the positioning of the fox so that you can tease him to you and gain some extra resources. It's an approachable challenge, but it's satisfying. And what really got me, though, there was one mechanism that came in, in our playthrough that was like, oh, okay, so this, this can be for gamers, too. If I build a nest, which, as we know, happens when you have three squirrels on the same place, then other players that are present in that new, in the space that now has my nest, they got to scatter their squirrel. Holy Crap, this takes an interesting, <laughs> if simple, game, and it makes it tactical. It makes it so that you have to be really keenly aware of what the other player is doing, not only for your own defenses, but for finding those little cracks in the armor where you might be able to break up one of their chains and potentially keep them from scoring a big bonus. Yeah, this was definitely, I went into this thinking Alvin and the Chipmunks coming out of it thinking Watership Down. <laughs> Adventures don't pass over nut hunt. Uh, Scott and I both think that the name's a little cheeky, but there's actually a lot of good game in that box. Keep your eyes open for it. Most definitely. Scott, we're going to round out today with the winners of the 16th annual Golden Geek Awards. These are for 2021 is determined by the users on BGG. All set? Spoiler alert. No one gets smacked here. Oh. Wait, why would someone get smacked? I don't get it. Uh, you didn't see the Oscars? <laughs> I can't uh, I can't even insert some audio because we're a family show, Scott. Yes, we are. Scott, we're going to start with the first category, two-player game. This is a category that you and I don't get the opportunity to play a whole lot, but we have a couple runners up. That time you killed me. It's an abstract game where I understand you're playing in, like, you're playing in past present and future have you seen this one the, i have not but looking at the title i mean i'm really <laughs> intrigued by it runner up was summoner Wars second edition i haven't dabbled i played the first edition it's fine but it didn't grab me so i haven't even tried second edition the winner of the two-player game of the year radlands from roxley well, I know that my uh, cursor has been hovering over buying Summoner Wars quite a few times oh, here, yeah? so that may end up in my collection here at some point in time. Artwork presentation. These are the prettiest games as far as the artwork goes. Runners up, we have Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Ooh. Exile. That's got that uh, similar art to what we find in Root. It's, uh, it's unique yes. uh, to that world. Runner up, Canvas, a game that's all mm. about art. The winner, Sleeping Gods. Oh, that that one is just gorgeous. That's like a coffee table book you just want to put out there and just show people whenever they come in. Look at this beautiful artwork. And, you know, bonus points because uh, Ryan Lockett does all, all of his own. Like, not only does he produce the game, do the graphics, he does it all. That's, that's his artwork in his game. Yep. Best cooperative game, runners up, Micro Macro, Crime City, Full House, which we haven't done Full House, but we did Micro Macro. Nope. I thought it was fun. I liked it more as a solo game. It finds itself as a runner up in co-ops here. My nephews absolutely adored the game. Didn't I tell you to give that back to me? 
I still have it, so I will get it back to you. <laughs> I don't care. Runner up, Sleeping Gods. Oh, there we go. Once again there, that's a great one there. And the winner, The Crew, Mission Deep Sea. The trick-taking element is such a unique way of playing it, and can't wait to play this one. Definitely a deserving winner for best co Yes. Let's talk expansions. We've got a couple of runners-up. We have Concordia Solitaria, which I haven't dabbled into that one yet. I love me some Concordia. Haven't done Solitaria. I still have to play Concordia yet. I haven't done that. Ooh, next level back. Woohoo. <laughs> Solitaria gives you the opportunity to play the game against a tricky opponent in solo mode. All right. We also have a runner-up, Parks. Got the Nightfall expansion. We've done a bit of Parks ourselves. Nice little game. Mm -hmm. I need to get Nightfall. Absolutely love Parks. And that is one that my wife loves to play as well. The winner, Lost Ruins of Arnak Expedition Leaders. Uh, thinking of games that were out at the same time, I'd rather see Dune Imperium, Rise of Ix, but hey, congratulations to Arnak. You know what? I'm not certain. Uh, we probably should have looked into this before recording. I think Rise of Ix is a 2022. Oh, Because they had expedition right. leaders you're at PAX. Right. Okay. Yes. Let's talk most innovative games. Runner up Canvas. And innovate. Right. Okay, you're stacking the oh, yeah. art on top of each other. We've seen that in other games, but this one sort of fleshed it out into a bigger box. Of, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, more definitely. Gameplay in it. Runner-up, Sleeping Gods. Uh, okay. It's yeah, campaign. I don't know if it's... Innovating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the winner, Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile, 100%. The whole whatever you do in this game carries over to the next game and alters your next yeah. play. And you don't even have to have the same people. Absolutely. Yes, yes. That that one's well-deserved. The light game of the year. Runner-up, Seven Wonders Architects. Wholeheartedly uh, back behind that one there. I, I've played that any number of times there, and it's a great little just like feel the spare time that you have. Wonderful game. Runner-up, Canvas. Mm-hmm. And the winner, Cascadia. Which uh, you and I kind of pick on a little bit, but I think that we, it's just like we're an anti-hype uh, message. We, I don't know about you. I like Cascadia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a fun game, but I just don't know if it deserves all the hype, like you said, that, that went behind it. Well, it's in the BGG Top 100, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, and climbing. We'll keep our eyes on it. In the meanwhile, let's talk medium game of the year. Our runners-up, yes. we have Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. Which, Any more Terraforming sure. Mars? Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm not I'm not soured on it yet. Medium <laughs> game of the year runner-up, Sleeping Gods. Okay. Sure. Surprise, though, that it did not win against the winner, the crew, yes. Mission Deep Sea. Yeah, that one there, I don't see that as being a medium weight. Game I would have put it in a lightweight category too. I medium yeah. strikes me. But that said, you know, it's it's a fantastic game. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean I've <laughs> nothing against it at all. Heavy game of the year. Our runners up. We have Imperium Classics. Imperium a, a card system. Yeah, I've not played that one at all, so I, I really don't have anything to say about that. We got that. nothing to say here. <laughs> Runner up, <laughs> Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. Sure, I well can see deserved. that. I can see that one being the winner. However, it came out the same year as the winner did, and that is 
Ark Nova. Well, yeah, seeing the amount of time that they spent playing it this past weekend, I can see why it's heavy game of the year. You know what? I'm surprised that we didn't have a wingspan thing happen where Ark Nova wins game of the year, innovative game, expansion, co-op, <laughs> artwork, two-player. <laughs> I don't know. Let's move on to party games. Don't get got. Shut up and sit down. Special edition. Don't get got as a runner-up as well as Stella Dixit Universe. Mm-hmm. And the winner is So Clover. I've heard a lot about that. Uh, I'm going to have to definitely check out So Clover. You know what I have? It's got to We need to do like a party game episode because we can bang out 30 of those oh, in a certainly, game day. Yeah. And just talk all about it. It's just, it doesn't feel right to spend a lot of time in a podcast on a game that's relatively easy. And it, I, I digress. Print and play games, which we can't say a whole lot about because, well, I know you do your fair share of print and playing, Scott, but I really don't. What do you got? Well, print and play, we have Grim World First Steps. That's the runner-up. And then another run-up, Rats High Tea at Sea. And the I winner, know nothing about either of these. We need to get Martin back on to give yes. us an idea of what's now, going this on one in the print here, and play I think world. You have dabbled in this one, Gloomhold. Oh, yeah. Oh, I talked about it on the show way back when. I printed up my – I sleeved it and everything. Yeah, yeah. Gloomholden. Uh, Gloomhaven in an 18-card deck. It's – yeah, obviously it's not gloom Gloomhaven. You know, they can't pack all of that. But it's surprising the amount that they capture in just 18 cards. Well, that's wonderful. Solo games. Now, this is something that I kind of get into more than you, I think. Yeah, I do I think enjoy so. my solo games. So runner-up, once again, here we go with Arc Nova. Absolutely. I could see that. That would be a rainy day. Set it up on your table and just play all day then. You know something else? That game, as I talked about earlier, it's complex enough that you got to be in the mood to teach someone and somebody's got to be in the mood to learn it. If you already know it and you're like, man, I really want to play, but you know, my husband or my wife doesn't like playing these heavy games with me. I'm just going to play it by myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, next one, we have Sleeping Gods. Once again, having the spiral bound folder in that to play game after game. That looks like a great one there as well. If we're learning anything from doing this, it's that Sleeping Gods is one that everyone should get on their table. Yes, yes. And the winner, now this one has been on my table, and I was just playing that last night. No, two nights ago. And that is Final Girl. I'm a huge fan of that. Still waiting for Season 2 to come out. Such a tremendous idea, tremendous adaptation of their hostage negotiator rules. Even just the breakout of how they keep the boards and everything. Just such a brilliant setup of that. Yeah. So you could see that one coming a mile away. I had this terrible feeling that they were going to lose out to like Ark Nova for being hot. <laughs> they 100% deserve the win. Well, thematic games. We have our first runner up, Final Girl, once again. Mm -hmm. And yes, that is very thematic. I mean, absolutely. Doing Camp Happy Trails and you have the. Two campers that are down at the bonfire making out. And you have the people that are skinny dipping. And, oh, yeah. And then you have the guy wearing a hog head going around <laughs> killing them all. You're living. They, cap they capture the feeling exactly the way that they wanted to. The 80s horror film dream right there. Runner up, Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. Quite thematic. Absolutely. And winner, once again, Sleeping Gods. Turns out it's thematic as well. What yes. else could Sleeping Gods do? 
Well, War Games. <laughs> now, this one here, I would have been into this bigger before, but I haven't really gotten into War Games that much lately. Runner-up, Red Flag over Paris. Next one, Atlantic Chase. And the winner, which I've heard a lot of, is Undaunted Reinforcements. It's a popular system, and it, it's weird because it doesn't doesn't fit the mold of what we think of when we think war game, and yet it is a war game. Yes, yes. Best board game app. We have the runner-up Railroad Inc. Challenge. Mm. And next is Concordia, the digital edition. I've been just thinking about that Just downloaded it. I just got it. And the winner is Gloomhaven. They got the app up and running, huh? Yes, they do. And, and a good one at that. The final one here, we have Best Podcast. No, now, skip it. One, skip it. What are you doing? <laughs> this is one that, yes, we would we would like to be at least in the running sometime in the future. But, I mean, I'm going to go under no false pretenses and say we should have won. We're just having a good time at this. No, we absolutely should. This is this is ludicrous. <laughs> it's outrageous. I need to, uh, the lawyer from Seinfeld, <laughs> Jackie, I'm, Jackie oh, Childs. <laughs> it's got nougat. It's got peanut butter, peanuts, <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> well, first Let's see, one. Uh, who's the best podcast? Best board game podcast. We have five games for Doomsday. Next runner up is The Game is Broken. This game this, is this broken. This game is broken. Yeah, I've done And the before. winner is Board Game Barrage. So congratulations to all of them for doing such a great job talking about board games and getting people into this hobby. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Level Up today. Those are the ones you probably should be listening to. Congratulations <laughs> to the runners up and the winner this year, Board Game Barrage. Ah, uh, yes. Well, Scott, we're at the end. We did it. We made it. Episode 57 all finished up. Almost. We've got to talk about how we leveled up since last time. And in a first, we're not each going to have our own level up. We leveled up as a show. So we maybe we had to say what board game podcasts were the best of 2021. And hats off to them again. We had our own little breakthrough. Level up will be at Origins. As media, we officially have media badges. We'll be able to give you guys some sneak peeks behind the scenes. I think we're going to do some some releases of podcast episodes while we are there. For those that uh, that, that don't know, that don't know this side of things, part of a, getting a media badge is they want you to actually put out content while you're at Origins. Mm-hmm. So, man, you and I, we're going to have to have some... Uh, some we're going to have to have some alone time after oh, the, uh, we're the gonna con do that. to sit down and chat. I'm going to have some videos on Instagram. I'm going to have some live stuff on Facebook. I'm going to do all sorts of stuff. And the thing is, we always talked about we want to get your views of things. So, hey, we might just come up to you and ask you what your opinions are of what the games are that you're looking for at Origins. Scott, take the field mic. We can we could just do that and be like, hey, you want to be on a show? Tell us what's what's your game of the country? What are you exactly. been playing? And just go around gamer to gamer and hear what people have to say. We got good times planned. In the meantime, I got bedtime planned. Scott, you have a wonderful week. I'll hopefully catch you on Thursday at the shop. Exactly. That sounds like a plan. So hey, adventurers, get prepared because we have a side quest coming up. Side quest! We're gonna be talking with Justin of leviathan wilds he's also a designer who worked on imperial salt uh java's palace love letter 
Descent seconded all sorts of wonderful things here. And now he's going out on his own and doing another awesome game. So be sure to listen up coming up soon. I'll see you next time, Scott. You take care, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.